This is Church on the Rock, where Jesus is our message and people are our heart. Tune in to hear a teaching that we pray inspires and encourages your life with Christ. We are going into a new series for the summer called A Colorful Collection. If you saw the banner out there, uh, some of the signs. By the way, feel free to color that thing in. I hope by the end of this series that that whole scene is just totally colored in. So feel free. Um, but we're going into the series called The Colorful Collection, which we're just going to dive into lots of different Bible stories. All, all different Bible stories. And Pastor Brian will be back next week to start with our first story. Today, uh, what I want to do is I want to set up the Bible itself for you so that we can get the most out of all of these stories. So again, we have a problem with the Bible. Firstly, we don't read the Bible. If, if I were to ask many of you, if you read the Bible every day, my guess would be that that number would be quite low every day reading the Bible. If I were to ask even further, how many of you have read the Bible cover to cover? I, I think that that number would be even lower. In fact, right now I'm currently working on that one, reading it from Genesis to Revelation. It's a very long book. <laughs> but it's interesting that many of us are basing our lives on a book that we've never read or at least never read all the way through. The, the Bible sells 25 million plus copies a year. Okay, that's incredible. It is the best-selling book of all time. All right, no other book has sold as many copies as the Bible. One writer uh, is quoted saying that the Bible is the best-selling book never read. I think that that is probably accurate. <laughs> uh, we get a dose of the Bible in many different ways. Um, obviously, here on the Sunday morning, with the, with the messages that we hear, we get a little bit of the Bible, you know, once, once in our week. Um, sometimes we will look up podcasts about the Bible to listen to on our morning run or on our commute or whatever. Um, some of us have daily devotionals that we pull out every morning uh, that maybe have one or two verses at the top and then some inspirational content or things like that. Or maybe it's on your app. Uh, so we get a couple of verses that way. Um, a lot of us get verses through Instagram, uh, through the little square picture with the forest and the nice river running through and the sun shining. And then you have like uh, John 3.16 there on, on the forefront. We get scripture that way. But... Nothing is wrong with these, but many of us, that is the primary way that we experience the Bible. And I think that there is more to it than that. We don't read the Bible. Secondly, we don't know how to read the Bible. I mean, let's shoot straight. The Bible is a complex book. It is dense. It is hard. It is quite different from the books that we enjoy reading, 
most of the time. The Bible, it's an ancient library, all right? It's 66 books with 66 different ways to go about this story. There's different genres, there's different styles, there's different tones, there's different authors. The Bible was written in Hebrew, in Greek, in Aramaic. It was written two to three millennia ago. It was written in the Middle East, in Africa, in Europe. I mean, this sounds like something very different from what you would just pick up, go out on the back deck, and do some light summer reading. This is a dense and complex book. When you read the Bible, you are diving into uh, this unknown, foreign world. And it's very different from what we are normally accustomed to. So it's hard. It's hard to read. And we don't know how to read it. Deeper issue than, than the fact that we don't read the Bible and we don't know how to read it is we don't like the Bible. Honestly, the Bible is pretty weird. Right? I've always wondered why the Bible starts with Genesis. Because in my opinion, Genesis is one of the hardest books to come to terms with. By page 3, you've got a snake who talks. And that's just the beginning of the story. The Bible has bizarre stuff in it. Have you ever, like, just sat on the couch and stared at TV static? Sometimes how I feel when I'm reading Leviticus. Spoiler, it's dull. But here's the thing. If I, if I were to catch you, you know, after service in the lobby, and I were to ask you, how do you feel about the Bible? And I actually do do this. I love asking people questions about the Bible because I think it's just so fascinating. But if I were to catch you and ask you, how do you feel about the Bible? There would be those of us in this room that could and would say, I love the Bible. And every morning I read the Bible with my coffee. It's an important part of my discipleship to Jesus. It shapes me. It speaks to me. I love the Bible. But... And on this one, I think there's a lot more of us than we would guess. If we were to answer in total honesty, like from the deepness of ourselves, how do you feel about the Bible? I think a lot of us would say, I really don't like the Bible. I like learning about the Bible. You know, I I like the Sunday messages. I I like hearing things about the Bible and and etc. I like all that, but, you know, reading the Bible... It's just really not my thing. It's just really not for me. I'm glad, I'm glad that you do it. I'm glad that the, the pastors and the teachers do it and, and show me things out of it. But me, I just don't really like it. I don't like to read it. And the deepest issue when it comes to the Bible is that we take issue with the Bible. I don't know if you've realized this or seen this, but there has been a generational shift in the way that we view the Bible. Now, I want to be clear that the shift is not from wrong to right. The generation before didn't have it all wrong and didn't have it all right. Our generation certainly doesn't have it all wrong and doesn't have it all right. But to be clear, there is a has been a shift in the way that we view the Bible. Case in point... Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. We don't have to turn there. It's the battle of Jericho. 
All right, uh, God's people march around the walls, and the walls come crumbling down. All right, my grandma and my great-grandma, um, they would read this story, and they would get, you know, God is with me and for me. Have faith in God. He will not forsake you. You are not alone. Stay steady in what you are doing. I read this story, and maybe you read this story, and think, this is genocide. Like, th- this is some sort of ethnic cleansing in the name of God, the God that I worship. It- it's-, 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 it's the extinction of women and children, and here we have an issue. Like, for one, how does this story fit with Jesus, who, who teaches nonviolence, who teaches enemy love? I mean, should the Old Testament God, should he just be forgotten? Should, should he just be written out of the story? Did, did, did the Old Testament God somehow get saved between Malachi and Matthew and, like, have these crazy character changes? I mean, what's going on here? There's an issue. We see that the Bible is full of good, it's full of truth, it's full of beauty. The Bible is poetic, it's, it's prophetic, it offers something totally new, totally better than anything. It, it's world-changing, and for that reason, it's illegal in certain countries to even have the Bible. And followers of Jesus risk life and limb just to smuggle it across borders so that people can read this book. It has power. It has potency. It's played a part in shaping Western civilization. It is woven into our histories. It is good stuff. But we also see in the Bible lots of messed up stuff. Polygamy, incest, rape, sexism, racism, war. Brutal violence, revenge, and more. It's all in there. And it's not just that this stuff is in the Bible, in in the stories that are found in this library of books, but that it's found in the people of God in these stories. Look, Look no further than Genesis, and you have the man Abraham, a true hero. The guy that God promised that through whom he would bless all the nations. A guy that had unbelievable faith. But at the same time, a polygamist, a misogynist, and a liar. Remember David and Goliath? The boy David defeats the Goliath. He he becomes king. David is an inspired poet, wrote so many of of the, the beautiful songs. He was described as a man after God's own heart. But not to mention, he was a violent war criminal, an adulterer, a murderer. And in this story, God's story, he's the hero. And he's also the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. So what's going on here? Just, just, just right after the resurgence um, of the superhero stories, where you have these well-defined good guys versus the bad guys, 
Um, there was this trend within the arts, uh, specifically in like TV and film, of the anti-hero. Uh, so th these are shows like Breaking Bad or Mad Men where they, they're these guys that are, quote, good guys, but they aren't really all that good. And you find yourself conflicted about whether you should be rooting for these people or whether you should be appalled by these people. And the lines are blurred. And we find this right here in the Bible. There's all kinds of bizarre, wild, weird stuff in these books. So not only is all of this stuff giving us issue with the Bible, but what about all the questions what about how the Bible seems to have more than a handful of contradictions and errors and confusing details that seem out of context? And I mean, why, why are there so many different interpretations of the Bible? I've got a stack of them right here, and that's not even close to how many we find. And also, why are there so many disagreements about the Bible within Christianity? Some Christians read the Bible, and they read 1 Corinthians 13, and think that the gifts and workings of the Holy Spirit are for here and now. Prophecy, healing, miracles, tongues are for today, which is what we believe here, and it's what we live into. Right? But other Christians read the same text, 1 Corinthians 13, the same Bible, and say, no, that was for another time. We have the Bible now, so that, that's not for us. And it's like, really? We're reading the same thing. And you, you end up over here, and I end up over here. Some Christians read the Bible and think of God as in control of everything that happens, sovereign. But others read it and see humans as having free will and autonomy and an open future that we're responsible for with our choices of good and evil. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Because we're reading the same book. But we've got two polar opposite views. Which brings in another issue. Uh, one of the most common oppositions to the Bible. What about all the horrible things done in the name of the Bible? A lot of wild stuff has been done because, quote, the Bible says... African-American slave trade two centuries ago. The genocide of Native Americans. Imperialism in Africa from the British, from the French, and the Dutch. I mean, what, what about the, the parents who don't bring their child to the doctor because of a reading of James 5? What about the churches mostly found in the South who handle snakes every Sunday because of Mark 16? What about fundamentalist Mormons who practice who participate in polygamy, who have as many wives as they desire because it's in the Bible. The Bible, it says, can seemingly justify a lot of strange behavior. So because of all these issues that I've just brought up, your mind is probably reeling with all these different things. I apologize, but it's something we need to talk about. Because of all these issues, there's a growing trend of take the Bible. Take the Bible, but give me Jesus. All right, take the Bible, just give me Jesus. I'm okay with Jesus, 
All right, but the Bible, it's too outdated, it's too weird, it's too difficult to understand, it's too controversial, whatever. Take it. Give me Jesus. So what I, what I want to answer today is why the Bible? Why hold on to the Bible? Why read it? Why study it? Why believe it? Why trust it? Why live it out? Simple answer. I mean, the, the, the very simple answer is that we're followers of Jesus. Jesus was obsessed with Scripture. He read it, he quoted it, he taught it, he preached it, he memorized it, trusted it, came under its authority, he would pray it, and he lived it. And so Jesus was a rabbi. Now, we know that he was more than that, that he is the Messiah and the Savior. Uh, But vocationally, Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbi is just a Hebrew word for a Bible teacher. So Jesus, uh, for his work day, went around teaching people the scriptures. Now, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, all right, we want to be with him so that we become like him so that we can do what he did. All right, we want to be with him so that we can become like him so that we can do what he did. So in Jesus as rabbi, we want to have the same relationship with the Bible that Jesus had. Reading it, quoting it, memorizing it, trusting it, coming under its authority, praying it, living it out. But first, in order to get there, to get to that point, our view of the Bible has to be the same as Jesus' view. Let's look at that. What does Jesus think about the Bible? Matthew 5. If you want to turn there, you can. I think it'll be up here on the screens. Matthew 5. We're going to be in uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is just Matthew compiling uh, some of Jesus' most important teachings. And if you go to Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this. Like Jesus speaking, do not think I have come to abolish, that is, or throw away or ditch, the law or the prophets. Which is just a very first century Jewish way of saying the Old Testament or the Bible. Alright, so do not think that I have come to throw away the Bible. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So three things about Jesus' view of the Bible. Alright, so we're wanting to line our view up with Jesus' view. Let's figure out what it is. One, to Jesus, the Bible is a story that reaches its climax in his life. Look at the way Jesus speaks. 
He says, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill the scriptures. He goes on in verse 18 to say, until everything is accomplished. So, fulfill and accomplished. These are words that are only used in a narrative context, alright, or in a story. At least half the Bible is narrative, telling stories. And, and the parts that aren't categorically narrative are still furthering that story along. So to Jesus, the whole Bible, from cover to cover, is a story that finds its climax in his life. To Jesus, the scriptures are not an encyclopedia of truth. Which is how a lot of people read the Bible and are taught to read the Bible. Um, but to Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't read the Bible as a scientific textbook or as answer manual that, that we can pull out all the information that we want to know about life or death or God or the Holy Spirit or whatever. Uh, but to Jesus, it's something different. Now, now, understand there is truth all throughout this book. These pages are filled with truth. But Jesus does not read the Bible as an encyclopedia of truth. Rather, he reads it as a long, drawn-out story about God, about us, about where it's all come from, about where it's all going. And to Jesus, what, what scholars call this, this big story, God's big story, they call it a meta-narrative. So to Jesus, this meta-narrative all builds up to him, to his coming, to his birth, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then after his ascension, the Holy Spirit. So to Jesus, the Bible is a story that reaches its climax in him. Two, to Jesus, the Bible is trustworthy. Verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter. So right there in the Greek, it's not the smallest iota, which is literally the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. All right, so not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. That one there is Greek for uh, this, this little um, dot that's smaller than the dot over the I in the English language. And it's just like used for pronunciation whenever you're reading the Greek aloud. All right, so not the least stroke of a pen. Basically, every drop of ink spilled, none of it will fall away. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it seems that Jesus has an extremely high view of the Bible. This seems to be basically the highest view of Scripture you could ever have. Nothing will pass away. If you read Jesus... Whenever he was in the town or in the crowds or, or at someone's house, wherever he may be, whenever he would be asked a question or he would, be, uh, he would receive a criticism uh, of the word 
or um, you receive, receive an objection or an accusation or, or something like this. Um, anytime you receive something like that about the Bible, what you'll find is that Jesus never lowered his view of the Bible as trustworthy. Right? So what Jesus would do is he would point out that the problem, the problem that you're seeing isn't in the Bible. The problem is in the way you read it, the way you misread it, the way that you've interpreted it, or you don't believe it, you don't have faith in it, or whatever. But the problem is never the book. The problem's always the reader. Because to Jesus, the Bible is always trustworthy. Third, to Jesus... Some people may not want to hear this one. To Jesus, the Bible is authority. Verse 19, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, like, oh, you know, it's not really a big deal, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That phrase sets aside, it can be translated to break, to ignore, to relax. Alright, so if you break the commands in the Bible, like, you know, don't worry, uh, Bible's so outdated, uh, let's just do it anyway. Uh, let's just break it. Or if you ignore it, like, you know, I know it's there, but is that what it really means? Uh, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Or, um, or if you relax it. If you relax the commands of the Bible, like, oh, you know, this is just this is part of life. This is the way it is. Everyone goes through this. Uh, well, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you break, ignore, relax the commands of the Bible, you will be called least. Because in Jesus' view, we are to come under the authority of the Bible. To understand the Bible actually means to stand under the Bible. But, you know, here's where some of you probably a little bit squirmy, a little bit unsettled, the fact that we're saying the Bible has authority and that you should obey it. Um, So this is important. What I'm about to say Uh, So really get this. Um, Jesus was not and is not a close-minded, dogmatic fundamentalist. Not at all. Let me show you. Let me show you. Some of you are going to want to see this. Uh, 21, you have heard that... Okay, so let's get you to the scripture. 21, Matthew 5, 21. I, I got excited because that excites me. Um, but you have heard that it was said. This is still from the Sermon on the Mount, just a little bit further, Jesus teaching. So Jesus says, you have heard it. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder. All right. Quote from the Bible there. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, interpretation of the Bible. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Let's get down to verse 27. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, quote from the Bible. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Skip down to 33. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, and here's a quote from the Bible, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Skip down to 38. You have heard that it was said, quote from the Bible, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And then verse 43, you have heard that it was said, quote from the Bible, love your neighbor and interpretation of the Bible, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now Jesus goes on in this passage, but here I want to show you what's happening here. This is Jesus calling out all sorts of popular readings and misreadings in his first century Jewish world. He's saying, this is what you've heard. This is what you've read. This is what you've thought. But it's actually this. But it's actually this. But it's actually this. To Jesus, the Bible is in constant need of debate and reading and rereading and rethinking in order to get back to the heart of the text. There's a bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but I think what, what, what it means by God said it is uh, the Bible. Alright, so we could say the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's good, that's good to believe the Bible, because Jesus thinks the Bible is trustworthy. Alright, so we trust the Bible, that's great. But looking at what we just saw Jesus do, there's something missing from that motto. Right? The Bible says it. I interpret it. And so on. Right? The Bible says it. I interpret it. In basic hermeneutics, which is just a big word for the art and science of reading the Bible well. All right, so in, on its basic level, there are three steps to studying the Bible well. Right, the first one is revelation. What does the text say? Second is interpretation. What does the text mean? And third is application. How do we live this text out? Now what happens is a fundamentalist reading of the Bible blurs the lines between revelation and interpretation. This is a big problem in our day because the chasm between the way Jesus reads the Bible and the way the fundamentalist reads the Bible is ever-widening. And there's camps and it's ugly. And if we want to know how to respond to this, what's going on, We've got to know Jesus' take on the Bible. We've got to know what Jesus thinks. We've got to know how Jesus reads it. 
So here's a problem. If you get into a debate with a fundamentalist about any particular issue, it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, whether, whether it's angels, the flood, age of the earth, the second coming, whatever it might be, the fundamentalist will say, the Bible says, quote, and I believe the Bible. The way... I mean, I believe the Bible too, but I don't think that's what it means. And there's a problem, and there's a conflict. Because there's no getting around the fact that whatever is being read is being interpreted. It has to be. And what happens, a fundamentalist cannot or, or will not distinguish between revelation, what the text says, and interpretation, what the text means. That's clearly not Jesus' take. It's clearly not Jesus' take. Jesus is not a fundamentalist. Eugene Peterson says that how we read the Bible is as important that we read it. And I agree. I think Jesus would agree. But because the Bible absolutely requires interpretation, we need to come at it in the right way. Otherwise, otherwise, the Bible's dangerous. The Bible has been used for some of the greatest good in history. But it's also been abused for some of the worst evils. It has been the justification for slavery. But on the flip side, it was the motivation behind the movement in in 18th century London with Wilberforce and other followers of Jesus. And then it spread over here into America. and, and, And it ended slavery. The Bible was central in all of it. From starting it to stopping it. It's been used for war and for violence. You know, think the Crusades. But again, the Bible was inspiration for Nelson Mandela, for Dr. Martin Luther King, and for many others who worked for peace and reconciliation. Second Peter 3.16, Peter writes about how some people, quote, twist the scriptures to their own destruction. The Bible can be dangerous. The Bible can be twisted into destruction. Which is why the Bible is something that we have to constantly wrestle with and read and reread and debate and rethink generation after generation after generation with humility and wisdom and experience and intelligence and the Holy Spirit because it's complex. But why is the Bible such a difficult book? Have you ever thought that? Why is the Bible such a difficult book? Mark 12:35. Now, this should be interesting, so if I've lost you, uh, if you want to just come back for this part, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, so let's get into it. Mark 12:35. 
while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, because that's what he does because he's a rabbi, right? So while Jesus was teaching, he asked, Jesus' words here, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, I mean, here's a quote from Psalm 110 from the middle of the Bible. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus goes on to interpret that. Uh, But all I want you to see here is uh, Jesus' quote of Psalm 110 and his setup to that quote. He says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared. So to Jesus... To Jesus, the Bible is both a divine and human word. In the U.S., a century or two ago, there there came a conservative, liberal divide in the way that we view the Bible. From that point on, it has been us versus them, it has been either or, and it has been a problem, frankly. So to generalize, the, the, the conservatives emphasize the divine side of the Bible. The fact that, this, that the Bible is scripture, that it's the word of God. Uh, conservative favorite verse would be First uh, Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed, which is wonderful. That's great. Whereas the liberals will emphasize the human side of the Bible. The Bible is more of uh, a collection of man's thoughts from a very, very long time ago about God and about man. And, you know, it's poetic, it's beautiful, it's great literature, most of it's outdated, and it's radically out of step with the way things are now. And so then there's this push and pull between the two over which one is right. But actually, actually it's both and. Jesus says, Jesus, right, the guy we follow, says David himself, human, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, that's divine. So to Jesus, the Bible is divine, speaking by the Holy Spirit, it's God-breathed, and it's human. David wrote that. Paul wrote that. Moses wrote that. And this is not a secret. It kind of, it feels like a secret, but it's not. I took Assembly's positional papers on inspiration. This is what we believe, as we should. The Bible is up front about this. Humans are involved, and they're involved more than just in the physicality of writing the words on the papyrus. It's something more than that. Example, Paul to the church in Corinth. Like, why is this sign Paul? Why does it say Paul? Another one from Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, summarized. And you know, I don't really know what the Lord thinks on this, uh, but he's given me wisdom, so I'll tell you what I think. The Bible is not hiding the fact that it is both a divine and human work. The Bible clearly cruises in. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's the work of David, or whatever author, man and possibly woman. Uh, It's human and inspired by God. 
It's scripture, all right? It's scripture. Don't get me wrong. I do not have a low view of the Bible. I have an incredibly high view of the Bible. It is scripture. It is the sacred writing. It is holy. It is not just another book like where the red fern grows. It's different. But, that was good. But, it's also literature. It's also poem. It's also biography. It's parable. It's census data. Super dull. It's letters and so on. It's not either or. It's not conservative or liberal. It's both and. It's Jesus. Isn't this this what Jesus embodied? Jesus was divine and human. It's the same with the Word. It's scripture and literature. It's divine and human. It's David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit. So why is the scripture difficult? Because being both and creates tension. There's tension in the way Jesus teaches us to read the Bible. And because we are his followers, we have to live in that tension. It's uncomfortable. But it is what it is. Jesus got a lot of flack in his day about his way of reading the Bible from both the left and the right. From the Pharisees, uh, what would be the closest to the conservatives of his day, and from the Sadducees, which is what would be most like a, a progressive or a liberal in his day. Right? From both sides, they had issues with the way Jesus was reading the Bible. And so living in that space of tension, you may receive flack. But you're in good company. Because so did Jesus. Living in that space of tension means that we're reading the Bible like Jesus. That's our goal. One more point, and then we're done. Mark 12, 18. believe you're so anxious to crack open the Bible. If you don't have one, you can come take one of these after service. Honestly, like, you need one. Don't try to, like, sit down and read the whole thing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it would be draining. Take it slow. Two or three chapters a day. Let it speak to you. Mark 12, 18, then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, so this is their theological viewpoint, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They came to him with the question, teacher, rabbi, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
Right, so this was a command a very long time ago that was just about uh, preservation um, and care for women. Um, it was really neat, but it's, it's thankfully uh, no longer uh, part of what we do because it'd be weird. Um, but anyway, now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Now you'd think, you know, by now they would have figured out something's not right here. Uh, last of all, the woman died too. All right, so the Sadducees are pre- presenting Jesus with like just this really weird hypothetical situation. They say, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now, like I said, this is not really a theological issue today, uh, so we read this and think, who cares? Why does it matter? But what I want you to see is Jesus' answer to the Sadducees. Jesus replied, are you not in error? You're wrong. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's it's so awesome that Jesus is using scripture here in in, in order to prove a point because he does that so much. I mean, he loves scripture. What can we say? That was a quote from Exodus 3. Um, Anyway, 27, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. To Jesus, a lot of people are quote, in error. Because, quote, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Maybe because you've never read the scriptures. Maybe because you don't know how. Maybe because you've read them, but you've read them wrongly or with a bias. Maybe because you have no faith when you read them and you don't actually believe it. Um, But for whatever reason, Jesus says to this group of men and women, who are not illiterate of the Bible like I would say many of us are, uh, He says, you are badly mistaken. So kind of the... The the top of the peak, the big point of of this whole talk is how much error, how much bad thinking and bad living comes out of our relationship with the Bible. Because one, we do not know the scriptures and we don't know the power of God, which is we don't believe what it is we're reading in the Bible. So this whole Bible reading thing, really at its core, why read the Bible? Because we're followers of Jesus. So really at its core, it's about following Jesus. You know, here's something interesting. We follow the Bible because we follow Jesus. Not the other way around. 
We don't follow Jesus because we follow the Bible. We follow the Bible because we follow Jesus. Andrew Wilson, British writer, in this book, Unbreakable, which is super small, okay? So I encourage you to pick it up on Amazon or somewhere. It's like five bucks. I've read it twice. And, and for being small, there's so much gold in here. Right? But I want to read you something that he wrote about the Bible. He writes, Our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love Him. And I've decided to follow Him. So if He talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered, or my answers remain unpopular. If you grew up in the church, you probably don't realize how strange it is to base your life around an ancient library of books. Alright, that's pretty out there. It's pretty bizarre. But I love Wilson's point in this book. He says, we don't believe the Bible because, we, well, we don't believe the Bible is Scripture because the Bible says it's Scripture. All sorts of other writings make that claim. The Quran makes that claim. The Book of Mormon makes that claim. The Bhagavad Gita makes that claim. We believe the Bible is Scripture because we believe in Jesus. And Jesus said that the Bible was Scripture. That's why we follow Jesus into relationship with the Bible. And that is why we come under the authority of all things of the Bible. Listen, you may not and, and probably don't have the relationship with the Bible that Jesus had. But you can. You can. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a book nerd. Not to be anything like that. You know what you have to do? Love Jesus. The, the more you love Jesus, the more that you will love His story, the Bible. And you, you can be saved and never read the Bible. But I believe following Jesus is more than just being saved, it's being formed. And it's being transformed. And God, for whatever reason, He chose a book. More specifically, He chose a story that plays a part in forming us. Because as we read this story, we enter into it. As we read this story, it reads us. we stand in this room when I'm about to pray and I'm about to open up the altars but first if everyone could just close their eyes
Not to do anything weird, but just to put your focus on, on the next couple of questions I want to ask you. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you want to become, like we said, being a follower of Jesus is to be with Him, to become like Him so that you can do what He did. If you want to become like Jesus as Rabbi and have the relationship with the Bible He did, would you just take a moment where you are and ask for that? Just ask for that. Why do we want to become like Jesus? Why do we want to follow in His footsteps as Rabbi, treating the Scriptures the way He did? Because Jesus brought heaven to earth. And as we become like Him, we can do what He did. We can bring heaven to earth. And I, pray, I, I, I believe that we play a part in when we are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The more that we can bring heaven to earth, the better. After you ask for that, I think an important step is to commit to opening up your Bible every day. So in your own words, if you're serious about this this morning, just between you and God, commit that you're going to spend time with the Bible. That you're going to actually read it. With an open mind and an open heart, you're going to get through all the tough stuff. Because you want to see the Bible the way Jesus sees the Bible. We commit to your word, Lord. I'll pray over you and then we're going to open up the altars and we'll be dismissed. But God, I, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you that you've given us a story that tells us who you are. And Lord, I pray that today as as we go into a week that we would continue to think about what the Bible is what it means to us what it meant to Jesus and how we can shift our minds to think like Him and Lord that as we open up the Bible and as we begin to read I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us I pray that you would give us revelation God that the Bible would come alive for us and that it would do what it's supposed to do in us we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this service and for you being here with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to ask those who want to pray with um, people who want to be prayed for to go ahead and come to the altars. And if you're here today and you have something that you would like to just receive prayer for, um, you can come. The band will continue to play, and you can come, you can receive prayer, um, you can tell someone about your need.
Um, if, if you don't have anything you need prayer for, then you are dismissed today. I pray that God blesses your week. Thank you for being here. And, and we'll see you next week. You are dismissed. We hope this message connected with you. To get more information about Church on the Rock, check out our website at www.cotrag.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Have a blessed day.